The sermon text reading is from Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when he heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest from the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Mike, for that introduction, and uh, so great to be back with you guys. Always love it when I'm here at your church, and uh, because of the relational connections and a lot of other things, and so just thankful to do that. Uh, I had to chuckle uh, when you were encouraged actually to write notes during the sermon, okay? But that's okay. The, the Armstrongs need to get a note from you, so I'm going to invite you if, you, if this is your one chance to write a note for the Armstrongs to do it. Because they need to be encouraged by you and supported by you. And so, sure enough, if you haven't had a chance to do that, try to get it done, try to hand it in. Plus, I won't know if you're taking notes from the sermon or writing a notice to them. So, you could take the whole 30 minutes. You know, I won't take 30 minutes, but do what you need to do for them. And I'm excited for them that they've gotten a break. And uh, the uh, people in pastor leadership need times to be recharged and uh, re-envisioned and everything else. And so, uh, very thankful. I'm thankful to be part of this series on seeing, savoring, and showing Jesus. Because that really is the difference between just doing church, doing religious stuff, or having a real vital uh, experience with Christ. And so, uh, today we're going to talk about radical renewal through the risen Christ. So, the encounter with Christ we're going to look at today is the risen Christ from the Apostle Paul. If you just heard that. And I'm going to pray that God would lead you to see how this connects to your life in a very, very deep way. So before we dig in, let's stop and let's pray. Lord, thank you very much for the chance to look at your word here today. And we do ask you that you would um, uh, help us to be open to what you would say to us individually. Maybe for some of us, this story that uh, this sermon is based on is a brand new story, seems weird, seems strange. Maybe for others of us, it's a story we've heard so many times that, in fact, um, it's just sort of a boring story when it should be a mind-boggling story. So, Lord, we ask you that you would uh, show us uh, in a deep way what we can learn from this and how it relates to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start with this idea. You know, when, whenever there's something in our lives that we're dealing with, we want to make sure that it's... The genuine is the real deal that it is what it's supposed to be, right? And that could be anything in the world, just something as simple and straightforward as a text message, right? I think we've all found out if you send a text message or an email, and especially if you dictate the text message, 
you want to be sure to read it carefully before you hit send, correct? We've all learned that lesson, uh, I think. Well, I had experience just a few weeks ago. Uh, my wife is a school teacher. She was away at school that day. I was working from home. It was a very rainy day. And uh, we have a dog that is usually outside, but on this rainy day, she was inside. So at some point in the day, I needed to take the dog out for the reason we always take dogs out, right, in the backyard. And uh, the dog was not cooperating. And my, my wife is really the dog person in our family. She understands these little animals better than I do. So I was trying to get in touch with my wife to see if she had any suggestions or ideas. And so I dictated a text message uh, to my wife, and what I said was, Bonnie is not interested in taking care of the matters at hand, period, only in chasing a squirrel and licking water off the deck. But when I looked down at my phone, my phone thought I said, Bonnie is not interested in taking care of the matters at hand, period, but I'll be chasing a squirrel and licking water off the deck. <laughs> and she texted back and said, you got to stop doing that. So, you know, you, you want to make sure something is what it's supposed to be, right? Uh, let me give you an example or illustration out of a movie. I'm not as much of a movie buff as some of you guys here, I'm sure, but a movie that came out now a long time ago that I really enjoyed is called Catch Me If You Can. It starred Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. It was about, I think, the, the true story of a man when he was still a teenager or a young adult who impersonated a doctor, impersonated an airline pilot, made all these deceptions, all the while becoming an absolute expert at, at counterfeit currency. Uh, just amazing. And then if the story is true, according to the movie, after he was arrested and spent time in prison, he spent the latter years of his life living in the Midwest and making a lot of money by being employed through, the help, through helping the government and helping banks figure out the difference between legitimate U.S. currency and counterfeit currency. Well, you know, whether it's a text message or whether it's the money we spend, you want to make sure something is real and genuine, right? You want to make sure it is what it's supposed to be. Well, I, I can think of any, nothing more important to be sure is genuine than this. That is our hearts and our lives and our profession of faith in Christ. If we are people that would profess that we have faith in Christ and we are Christ followers, then is there anything in the world more important than trying to figure out, is that profession of faith legitimate and real? Is it what it's supposed to be? In fact, the Bible has some very stark warnings about this. Toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something that should get our attention. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And did I not do even mighty works in your name? And he said, on that day, I will say, depart from me, from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, what kind of lawlessness is he talking about? Maybe he means the kind of lawlessness that he warned the Pharisees about. He said, Pharisees, you're hypocrites. He said, you tithe even the little uh, things you grow in your backyard, the spices and mints you grow in your backyard. You're a very careful tither, but you've omitted and you've, you've gone without practicing the weightier matters of the law. And what were those? Well, Jesus said they are justice and mercy and faithfulness. So sometimes we may pass over the most important things. The Apostle Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're faith, if you're of the faith. And Paul also said to his understudy Timothy, he said, Timothy, there will be those who have an appearance of godliness but deny its power. 
And by that, I think he means they appear to have faith, but they don't have true faith. And so in this series that you're in, seeing, savoring, and showing Jesus, wouldn't we have to say that the essence of real Christianity is this? You truly, with eyes of faith, have seen Jesus, and you've started to savor him. That's the real deal. That's the thing that makes the difference. You can have a lot of Bible knowledge. You can be a faithful church attender and all else. But if you haven't encountered and seen the real Jesus and come to savor him, then you're missing what this thing really is all about. And so the essence of what I want to say to you today is this from this, from this experience of Paul, that if you're encountered by the risen Christ like Paul was, not in this dramatic fashion, but similarly, if you're encountered by the risen Christ, he will change you from the inside out. He will change where you're going in life, and he'll change what you want to talk about. That's what this message is really all about. I would say this, that the experience of Paul was absolutely unique in many ways. There's no other Apostle Paul. Uh, his experience was very rare in other ways. But in some ways, I'm going to suggest to you today that there's a paradigm here, that there's a framework of what Paul experienced that is the real experience of every real converted believer in Jesus. Three things in his life, in his experience, that are the same for him as for us, and they are these. This is where we're going today in the message. We're going to talk about encountering the risen Christ, following the risen Christ, and talking about the risen Christ. Okay? Encountering the risen Christ, following the risen Christ, and talking about the risen Christ. Or to put it a little differently, if it fits in your series, seeing Jesus with eyes of faith, savoring Jesus and loving him with all your heart, and then showing him by your deeds and by your words. So with that in mind, with that, that's the idea of where we're going, the roadmap of the day, let's dig in, okay? First thing here is encountering the risen Christ. Encountering the risen Christ. Here in this part of Acts, Paul is actually the one doing the speaking here. He is before a crowd of people in Jerusalem, and it's a rioting crowd, in fact, until he starts to speak. And then he starts to tell his story. And so he is telling here of something that we see first recorded back in Acts chapter 9. And he tells how he indeed, before being the Apostle Paul, was Saul of Tarsus. And he was one who believed that Christianity was ruining Judaism. And so he became one who was out to get rid of these followers of Jesus. And so he would go from place to place to have them imprisoned or beaten or even killed. But in the midst of that, he tells this true dramatic story that Jesus appears to him through a light. And Jesus speaks to him audibly. And his life is changed because he encounters the risen Christ. He repents and he believes. Now, my encounter with Christ wasn't nearly that dramatic, right? <laughs> Maybe yours was not either. Most people's are not. I did not see a bright light. I didn't see Jesus. I didn't hear an audible voice. But through the witness of my family and my church, early in my life, I came to see that I was a sinner, that a Christian, a Christian is not just somebody trying to do good things, that I needed a Savior, and Jesus was that Savior, that he lived for me, he died for me, he was raised from the dead for me. And while I was still wrestling with these things as a kid, I came home from school one day, sat down on the edge of my bed, and prayed a prayer something like this, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying for me. Come into my life. Forgive me. Make me what you want me to be. And I can remember that day 
so clearly as if it were just a few months ago rather than many, many decades ago. How is it that we come to know Christ? It's by faith. I love the story of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He had a law degree from Yale, and he was an atheist. And his wife began to attend a church in the suburbs of Chicago, and it angered him that she was attending this church because he was committed to atheism, and he thought, why in the world is she falling for this? And so he began to investigate Christianity in order to disprove it. So he took the investigative mind of an investigative journalist and his brilliance as, as an attorney, and he began to seek to investigate Christianity. And the more he investigated, the more he became convinced, no, Jesus was really raised from the dead, and Christianity really is true. And he repented and he believed, and Lee Strobel encountered the risen Christ. Well, maybe your story's not that dramatic. Maybe your story is not uh, too dissimilar. But how a person comes to know Christ is simply that believing that it's not about being good, it's not about improving ourselves, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ living for us, dying for us, being raised from us, and simply turning to him and surrendering to him and putting all of our faith in him. And when you put your faith in Christ that way, you will encounter the risen Christ, and he'll begin to change you. That's the first thing we look at today, encountering the risen Christ. Encountering Christ always leads to the second thing we're looking at today, and that is following the risen Christ. If you encounter Christ, you will follow Christ. There is no such thing as a believer in Jesus who is not a follower of Jesus, right? There's no such thing as someone who has, in a sense, seen Jesus by faith who hasn't come to savor Jesus and love him with all of their heart. The two have to go together. And so here's the idea. If you come to know Christ, you're going to be willing to follow him wherever he takes you. Oh, there'll be ups and downs. There'll be bumps along the way. Your following and my following will never be perfect, but it will be a real following. This is the way of Jesus. In the New Testament, we see the story of Jesus passing by and walking past two men who were professional fishermen, Peter and Andrew. They had heard Jesus preach before. They had met Jesus before. But on this encounter with Jesus, he said something he had never said to them before. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they set down their nets. That is, they walked away from their business and they became followers of Jesus in a way that he demanded of them. They laid it all down. They gave everything to him, and they moved on. There's a story of a man who was very wealthy in the New Testament. He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything you have, and then come follow me. Now, Jesus did not say that to everybody. Why did he say it to this guy? Well, he said it to this guy because he knew that for this guy, his wealth was his idol. His wealth was his functional Lord and Savior. And Jesus speaks right to the heart of this man and says, if you're going to follow me, you have to give to me that thing you love the very most, and that is, in your case, your wealth and your affluence. See, Jesus always demands, if we're going to follow him, we've got to give to him and surrender to him everything in our life. Does he always make us give it up and give it away? No. We have to have that attitude of surrendering it and giving it all to him. He is Lord of all or not at all, as some have famously said. 
Now, how does that relate here to the experience of the Apostle Paul? Let me give you the big picture of the story. As Paul is speaking here in Acts chapters 20 and 21 and 22, he's referring back to what he experienced when he encountered Christ on that Damascus road. But by now, Paul has been a changed man. And he has gone from, get this, he has gone from being the greatest persecutor of Christians and of those who have proclaimed the gospel to being a person who is willing to be persecuted for proclaiming the gospel. And that has been his experience. Paul, in a sense, has gone from being the ultimate insider to the ultimate outsider. He was rising in the ranks of Judaism and Phariseeism. He was the defender of Judaism. And as a Hellenistic Jew, he was sort of on the inside of those with Greek culture, but he was also on the inside of Judaism both. But in this conversion, Paul goes from being the, ulti- from being the ultimate insider to being the ultimate outsider. Rejected by those who think that Christianity is terrible, but also rejected by those who were Jewish followers of Jesus. He was very suspect to them. Why? Because his ministry was to the Gentiles. And many of them held him at arm's length. But for Paul to be a follower of Jesus, he had to be willing to say, I'm going to do anything you want me to do. I'm going to go anywhere you want me to go. I'm going to say anything you want me to say. You're in charge of my life. And he gave up all of his power to be a proclaimer of the gospel. Now, here in this story, by the time we come to this event, Paul has been one who has been traveling to share the gospel. He has gone to Cyprus. He's gone to modern-day Turkey. He's gone to modern-day Greece, and he's proclaimed Christ. Now he has been brought back to Jerusalem, and there has been a riot upon his return, literally a riot. Back, they thought that Paul was going to be killed right here. And so the, the Roman uh, guards that were in charge of him separated him from this crowd because they were afraid he would be killed. And then he asked to speak to the crowd in Hebrew. And when he asked to speak in Hebrew, they, they said, well, you're not even the guy that we thought you were. And he said, no, I'm not, but let me speak. And so he begins to speak to them in Hebrew, and he tells the first part of the story that's already been read for us today. I want to pick up where the reading left off and read you the next little section of, of the book of Acts. But I want you to notice something. <laughs> when Paul starts preaching here, he preaches up to a certain point, and this crowd that's been at a riot level has quieted down to listen to him until he says a certain thing. And when he says this certain thing, they break out into a riot all over again. Follow with me here, beginning in Acts, uh, verse 9 of Acts 22. Here's what it says. You'll see it on the screen. He's telling the story, and he says, Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that's appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that is Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
Paul says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they'll not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he, that is God, or Jesus, said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then the writer of Acts says, Up to this word they listened to him. But then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, he should not be allowed to live. Now, what happens here in the rest of the story? Well, through the quick thinking of Paul and the providence of God, they don't kill him. Instead, the Roman soldiers take him back into the barracks, and later he is taken to Rome. But I want you to notice again what happened right here. This rioting crowd became very quiet and listened. And they listened until he said a certain thing. And when he said that certain thing, they broke out into a riot again, so much so they wanted to kill Paul for what he was saying. Look at verses, please, 21 and 22. You'll see them on the screen. And now he said, Paul says, And God said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And up to this they listened to him. But then they raised their voices and said, basically, He should be killed. Now what's going on right here? What, what's happening? Let me put it this way. With what was called the rich young ruler, his idol was his wealth. And so God demanded of him to surrender that wealth to me. Let me be the Lord of that wealth. For the apostle Paul, his idol was his self-righteousness. Look at the performance I've had in my life morally. Look how good I am. Look at what a religious leader I am. Look how much of an empowered insider I am. And to follow Jesus, he had to give that up. Well, as Paul preached to this group of Jews here in Jerusalem, the thing that they loved more than anything else was their Jewish culture and their Jewish history, and what they hated the most was what? Gentiles. They hated the Gentiles. There was such a history of racial and cultural hatred between Jews and Gentiles. I don't care what you've seen in the American scene of hatred between different ethnic groups. It does not compare to the level of hatred between Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans in the first century. And so they listened to Paul until he said this, Oh, if Jesus being Messiah means that I have to love Gentiles, then I'm out, and he's out. And they wanted to kill him because of what he said. This story, in fact, reminds me of a story I just heard a few years ago. It's a story about a preacher by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, probably the great, one of the greatest preachers in the history of, of Christianity. He was a minister in London in the middle of the 19th century, a great preacher there, so much so that his sermons were bound together in books and published, and tens of thousands of people in the U.K. and in America loved to read the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. But at a certain point along the way, C.H. Spurgeon became an outspoken opponent of the African slave trade. And upon that time in which he became an outspoken opponent of the African slave trade, there were many, many people in the South here in the U.S., churchgoers and professing Christians who began to have public gatherings to burn the books and the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. 
And there were people that said publicly and people that wrote letters to him, if you ever come to America, we will kill you. Now, what was going on here and what was going on in this story I've just told you, it was basically this. If following Jesus means I have to love people that I've hated, I'm not going to do that. For these people in the deep south, when they heard this, then their form of godliness was shown to be only a form of godliness, in my opinion, and not true godliness at all. Their profession of faith, I think, was shown to be empty and to be hollow because it was basically they were saying this, oh, Jesus will not be the Lord of my way of life or of my culture or of my wealth. If he challenges my wealth, my way of life, or my culture, then I'm not going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to love people that are different from me. The gospel leads us to not only love Jesus, but to love every other person who's a follower of Jesus and to love every image bearer. You see, the book of Acts has two great themes. One theme is this, Jesus is Lord and there's salvation in the name of no other. The second great theme is this, this good news of the gospel is for all people groups around the world. And whenever we become followers of Jesus, not only do we love him, we love every other follower of Jesus as our dear brother and sister, whether we're alike culturally or whether we are different culturally. God demands that we surrender everything to you. Let me ask you, are you willing to take that part of your life and surrender it to him to say, Lord, the culture of the kingdom will be more important to me than any other culture I've been part of, and I will love Every follower of Jesus is my dear brother and sister, and I will love every other image bearer simply because they're made in the image of God, and I will surrender that to you. That's exactly what's central in this text. Now, for me personally, I've had to wrestle with a lot of different things through my years to surrender them to the Lord. Uh, God privileged me and gave me the opportunity to be a planter in three different situations of churches. It's how I came into this role of perimeter to direct that ministry. And one of the churches I planted years ago was in town community church right here in Atlanta. And upon the seventh year of being there, I had a sabbatical, much like you've given here to Scott. And I needed that sabbatical very, very deeply. And one of the reasons I needed it was this. By the seventh year of that ministry, that church and its success had become my idol. It being a certain kind of church, having a certain kind of success, had become more precious to me than anything else in my life. And during that sabbatical, I can still remember as if it were just a year or two ago, instead of decades ago, sitting in a home that we were renting in the Orlando area and literally opening my hand to God as I prayed and said, Lord, that church belongs to you. My ministry is yours. My calling is yours. My family is yours. Everything in my life is yours. You can be Lord of all in a brand new way. I don't know what it is with you, but I know for this, for sure, for every one of us, encountering Christ will lead to a willingness to be a follower of Jesus. Now, are we going to do that perfectly? Not at all. <laughs> We're going to blow it every single day. Every day we will need the forgiving, cleansing, justifying grace of God every single day. But if he has truly encountered our hearts, then the deepest thing in our hearts will be this. Lord, I may fail but I really want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Encountering Christ leads to following Christ. Seeing Jesus leads to savoring Jesus. And seeing and savoring Jesus will lead to what? It will lead to showing Jesus. 
Encountering Christ and following Christ will then lead to being willing to talk about Christ. And that's what we see here. The Apostle Paul received the call to talk about Jesus, right? And you know what? You and I have received the call to show Jesus. <laughs> We've received the call to talk about the risen Christ. Now, the book of Acts is very much about the preaching of the apostles, right? The preaching of Paul and the preaching of Peter and the preaching of James. But the book of Acts is also about average, everyday Christians talking about Jesus as a way of life. People were coming to faith daily as they talked about Jesus to their friends and to their family. Now, I do not believe that I have a gift of evangelism, not at all. But I think that God has given to me a, a willingness to talk with other people about the Lord and a willingness to, willingness to be trained about that. In fact, the very first sermon I ever preached in my life was a sermon about a lady called the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan lady who Jesus ran into her at the well, talked to her about the living water, and she came to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And it says the text says that she ran back into the village to tell everybody in the village that she had met the Messiah, and he had given her living water. The very first discipleship group I was privileged to lead when I was in high school, two of the four guys in my group were guys that I was privileged to lead to have faith in Christ after talking with them about what the gospel is. And in the last few months here in my life, one of the greatest joys has been meeting regularly for dinner with a dear friend as he has continued to investigate what it means to be saved by Christ alone, in grace alone and faith alone, and what the implications are in his life. And there's nothing that gives me more joy these days than that. The point here is that this is not just professional Christians, though. This is for everyday followers of Jesus. Let me tell you three very quick stories, and we'll conclude the sermon. One story is the story of a man by the name of Neil. Neil is in his 70s. He uh, has been a follower of Jesus a long time. He's been trained in several different ways of how to share the gospel tactfully and lovingly and clearly. And if I asked Neil, uh, how many people do you think you share Christ with? And he said, I have absolutely no idea. I can't keep up with it. How many people do you think have put their faith in Christ because of your talking with them about the gospel? And he said, I would estimate somewhere around 100. Now, that's amazing, and that's outstanding, and that's beautiful. I also talked with a man by the name of Lee. Lee is a gentleman in his 50s. He's an executive coach. And he's also been trained in several different ways of how to share the gospel with people. And I asked Lee, I said, how many people do you think you've explained the gospel to through the years? He said, probably about 50 or 60. How many of those have put their faith in Christ? He said, I think somewhere between 16 to 20. And then lastly is a story of a guy by the name of Jason. Jason also has been trained in several different ways of sharing the gospel clearly and lovingly with other people. And I asked Jason, how many people do you think you've had the privilege to share Christ with through the years? He said, maybe about 100. How many have put their faith in Christ? He said, well, at least three or four. Here's my point. My point is, if you're willing to be trained and taught and helped, God can enable you to do this. The idea is that the Bible says there are two ways in which we show Jesus. We show Jesus by our deeds, and we show Jesus by our words. And the two need to go together. Let me... Let me give you this analogy. Let's say, for example, that you had undergone a lot of very serious health issues, and then you found a certain doctor, and that doctor's work with you gave, put you into a whole other realm of being healthy. And everybody who knew you could see 
that you once were very sick and now you're you're healed, you're well, you're very healthy. Now, if you ran into other people that faced the same illness you did, would it be enough simply for you to show them how healthy you are? That might be the start, but that's not going to be much help, right? Somewhere along the line, if you want them to be helped like you've been helped, what do you have to do? You have to say, let me tell you the name of my doctor, and let me tell you how to get in touch with him or her, right? The same thing is true. The world needs to see the difference in our lives. They need to see that there is something qualitatively that's going on in terms of our love and our compassion and our integrity and all else that would want them to that would make them want to know why is it that you're the person that you are? And then appropriately at the right time that we can say, Let me tell you about the doctor who healed me, so to speak. <laughs> Let me tell you about the doctor who changed me. His name is Jesus. And here's how you can meet him as well. Let's land the plane on this message. Here's the idea. Real and genuine Christianity is not just about being a better person or being a church attender or knowing a lot about the Bible. It's about seeing and savoring Jesus, and that will lead to showing Jesus. It's about an encounter with the risen Christ that leads to following the risen Christ, and that leads to a desire to talk about the risen Christ. And no matter how well or how poorly we do it, my friends, that's good news for you. It's good news for the people you know and love. It's good news for this world, and it's good news for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray as we close. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you.